0: When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens... You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even then, the night will shine like day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Search me, God, and know my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made.
1: Good morning, Grace. Good to be with you this morning, and for those of you who are watching uh, via live stream, we appreciate your uh, being with us this morning, and Uh, We serve an amazing God, don't we? We are uh, fearfully and wonderfully made, just like was declared in that video from God's Word. We're told that we are uh, His creation, and uh, this morning we have uh, a tremendous privilege to be able to um, dedicate one of God's creation, and uh, we dedicated a little Adrian first service. I said, this will be the only time I can remember where I get to dedicate a child twice Of course, having Daryl as a father, right, you need to do that, so, my buddy. Daryl, I'm going to ask you and Gleneth if you'd bring little Adrian up here, and if all the family would come up again, that'd be great. Hey, buddy, I've already seen you once today, hadn't I? Yeah. This is little Adrian. Adrian Lucas Munkus. Say that five times quickly. Um, well, first service we had the privilege of dedicating to the Lord, little Adrian, and we want to do that again uh, for the benefit of all you guys this morning who weren't weren't able to be at the the first service, and um, we're so so thankful uh, for this miracle really in the lives of Daryl and Gleneth. <laughs> And uh, we praise the Lord for the birth of little Adrian. And he's praising the Lord right now. And um, we're so thankful um, that the Lord has given this wonderful gift to uh, Daryl and Glenneth and, and to Aubrey. And uh, we're so thankful that uh, we get to be a part of their lives. Um, one of the great privileges that we have here at Grace is to be able to watch these children grow up and to be influenced by different um, teachers uh, and different uh, workers uh, here at, at Grace. And um, so this morning, I just want to just say a, a special welcome to uh, the grandparents who are with us today. And we know that um, they're looking forward to speaking into the lives, the life of Adrian. And uh, we are so thankful they could be a part. Of our service this morning and pray for them going forward as they have opportunity to influence Aubrey and Adrian for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We also want to pray for uh, Daryl and Gleneth as they bring up little Adrian and um, he's already proving that he's a very active young man and so we can imagine what that's going to be like as you go forward and um, we certainly uh, want to support Daryl and Gleneth as they bring up Uh, their son, and the discipline and instruction of the Lord, because that's exactly what the Lord expects uh, from us. And um, so this morning we have the great privilege of being able to dedicate again, Adrian. I wanted to um, give you guys a challenge that are here today. Um, Every once in a while on a Sunday morning when we have our educational hour, our Sunday school hour, I'll walk back to the children's building and watch the teacher's. You know, And they have so much influence in the life, lives of these children. and Even down to two-year-olds. You wouldn't think two-year-olds are doing much in the Sunday school class. But we know they're very active at two. But we also know that um, those are some formative years. They are learning. They're watching. They're listening. And I've watched the two- and three-year-old class and those little children as they're listening to Bible stories being taught. And they're very engaged. And so from the time they're small, Until the time they go to youth group and even college and career and become adults, there's opportunities for them to grow along the way. And you guys are a part of that. So don't ever forget that. Your investment's very, very important in the lives of these children. Um, Also, it's important that all of us are willing to play a role in Adrian's life. And I, I would want and hope that you would desire that that you would desire a relationship with little Adrian as he grows up to be able to introduce him to your Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be able to speak into his life what's going on in your life and how you were saved. And so if you're willing, along with me, to um, aid Daryl and Gleneth as um, they bring up little Adrian and the nurturing him and the admonition of the Lord and the discipline of the Lord, if you just stand and if you're willing to, to, to come alongside of them and support them in this, I believe it's very, very important for the church body to, as a whole be willing to be involved in the lives of these children. And um, I know I am. I, I, I love children. It's very painful that I'm not holding little Adrian right now. I love holding children. There's a point in time when I'm willing to give them back. But I enjoy uh, being with the children. And um, so w- let's just have a word of prayer uh, together this morning. Uh, I wanted to mention this, we have a little Bible that we presented to them uh, the first service, and um, Adrian was really excited about this little Bible, and apparently still is. So we're going to give that back to them uh, this morning, and uh, let's just have a word of prayer and dedicate little Adrian uh, to the Lord. All right, let's pray. Our Father, this morning we are so, so grateful for life. Thank you for the life that you've given us, and For those of us in this room that know you, Lord, as as our Savior, um, there's such a a special, intimate relationship that we enjoy with you, and, and we're thankful for that, and we enjoy that. And I just pray this morning for little Adrian that at some point in his life he would come to know you as his Savior, and that he would live for you as Lord, and that people would be able to tell a difference in his life. We just Lord, we'd love to see you use this young boy one day for your glory and your honor. And uh, I pray for Aubrey as a sister. Lord, I just pray you would um, just help her as she grows up with this little boy and um, just use her uh, in his life. And then for Daryl and Gleneth as parents, I just pray that you would help them to center their home on you and that little Adrian would know as he's growing up that, that Jesus Christ is the one that's the center of this home. And for the grandparents, we're thankful that they're here with us this morning. And we know they're already enjoying time with Adrian. And we just pray as they speak into their lives, the lives of these uh, grandchildren, Lord, that you would use them in powerful ways. um, Lord, as we look forward to you coming again for all of us. And so we just commit again, Adrian, to you and to the family. Lord, we commit them. and We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. He's very excited about being dedicated twice, as you can tell. All right? Thank you, guys.
2: Something that Thad mentioned. Uh, th- thank you, you may be seated. Um, something that Thad mentioned was um, the fact that Christ being the center of the home little adrian's home and we know because we know them we know that that's exactly what's going to happen but christ needs to be the center of all of our homes and all of our lives because he is our hope he is our hope he's our assurance that he will never forsake us or leave us while we're here on earth And he's also our hope for eternal life in death i'd like to share a verse of scripture with you uh, in Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling or the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Christ is our hope as we live here on earth, and he is also our hope in death. That's what the name of this song is, Christ our hope in life and death. Some of you may have heard this. Sing along with us, please, as you catch into it. Uh, Catch up with it. Sing along with us. And uh, uh, I think you're going to like this, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death.
3: What is our hope in life and death? Christ
4: alone,
3: Christ alone. What is our hope? souls to him belong. Who holds our days within his hand. What comes apart from his command and what will keep us to the end. The love of Christ on which we stand.
4: Oh, sing high
3: The waves that bring us not unto the shore,
4: the rock of Christ.
2: and death. We can hope in him because he is a special God. He is a holy God. He is unique. There is none like him. And so I'd like for us to stand and let's sing about this holy God. Let's sing holy, holy, holy. to the Lord and sing that chorus one more time I need thee oh I need thee sing it just with our voices lift it up to the Lord hour of every day, 24-7, and I want you to to join with us, we're going to be one big choir, okay, we're kind of a small choir today, we're going to be one big choir, this is a song you all know, and I want you to sing along with us because we know that He is the Lord and we need Him, let's sing this together, it's Agnes Dei, Oh, come let us adore Him, let's sing.
1: like that little mini choir they did a tremendous job and we appreciate um all that they do and here at grace i know the choir members have to be missing um, the ministry that the lord has given to them and it is a ministry uh, to lead us um, faithfully along with our praise teams and worship take your bibles and go to second timothy in the second chapter, and we will be in verse 5 today. I want to remind you, and it's very important that you hear these things before we begin this morning, but I want to remind you of the setting of this letter, because I think it speaks then to the urgency with which Paul writes. Remember, he is in a dungeon, imprisoned, He's in his final days, and he has a student, his protege, who he needs to write to, to inform about some very critical things as he continues the race. Because remember in chapter 1, there were people who in Asia had gotten off the course they weren't doing well in fact remember in chapter one he tells us about that that there were um, several in Asia who turned away from him and he did not want to see Timothy get off the course as some had there were some that were faithful but in the end some were not Paul wanted this young man in the faith, this timid young man, to continue the course that God had set in front of him. And as we come to chapter 2, remember the instruction. Paul tells Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You be strong in the grace of the Lord. That's what's going to get you through. Guys, listen to me. That's what's going to get us through. Is the grace... Of the Lord in our lives and then you remember in chapter 2 verse 2 he tells him the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also you so you be committed to the process of discipleship be strong in the grace be committed to the process And then verse 3, it's kind of like, whoa, endure hardship. That goes along with it. (laughs) That's part of the Christian life. He alerted him to that in chapter 1. He reminds him again at the end of chapter 4, actually toward the beginning of chapter 4, endure hardship. Hardship is a part of it. How in the world is the Christian going to endure the hardship in the Christian life? Only by the grace of the Lord, as the believer rests in him. That's how. And you remember that in talking about enduring hardship, he paints a picture for him of a soldier. Remember that last week? We talked about the metaphor of a soldier that Paul alludes to. And he says, look, you need to have the dedication with a single-mindedness Like a soldier. And if anybody knew about Roman soldiers, it would have been Paul. Chained to him, He knew. He knew the dedication that was required in order to be a Roman soldier. And the dedication, the same dedication that was required to be a Roman soldier is the same dedication that's needed by the believer to run the Christian life the bottom line and the older you get in the Christian life the more you understand it. it's not easy and it's great to know we have a helper the spirit of the living God and this morning we want to look at the second metaphor I told you that I thought we'd be able to do two and three today but that is going to be impossible but it's okay the farmer will still be around when we get to it in 19 96, there was a shoe company that, read an, that ran an ad in the Olympic Games. You remember the Olympic Games in 96 were in Atlanta. And the line read, you do not win the silver medal, you lose the gold. Why does an athlete compete in the Olympic Games? To win what? The gold. Right? Have you ever watched the ceremony? Right of the the bronze medal, the silver medal, but yet the gold. And the dude or the lady that receives the gold medal, where are they? They're up! They've achieved the greatest. They won their event. No athlete enters a contest to come in second. When I was in high school, I ran track, and I never... Took off from the blocks thinking, I really want to come in second today. That never crossed my mind. I wanted to be first. I ran to win. The question becomes for us today do we have the mind of discipline to compete to win the race, the Christian life? There was an Olympic event. <clears throat> Held in the Olympic Games called boxing. There is a monument at Olympia in Greece, and this epitaph is written about a boxer. And I want you to see what it says Here he died boxing. <laughs> Here he died boxing in the stadium, having prayed to Zeus for a wreath or for death. What was the mind of that boxer? Win. Win. Age 35, farewell. That's the way it reads. So the question I want us to consider this morning is this. As we come to this second metaphor. Are we competing with the mind to win With the discipline it takes in the Christian life, is that what we're doing? Is that what is on our minds as we live the Christian life? Are we living with the discipline it requires to win? I think losing is just accepted a lot more than it needs to be. You may have your opinion on that, and that's fine, because it's just an opinion I believe that the Christian needs to run with the mind to win. That's exactly what Paul had. He had the mind to win. And we know that at the end of his life, in chapter 4, verse 7 records it I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I finished. I ran to the end. I didn't quit. As I did some research on the athlete, I found some interesting things. And I, I, don't, I didn't put it on PowerPoint for you. I'll, I'll send you all these notes. But it's interesting when you consider in the New Testament, Paul describes the Christian life in terms of an athletic metaphor several times. It's not just this one isolated case. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 he alludes to the athlete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 through 27, he refers to the athlete. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8, we just read part of that. He refers to finishing the course. It's interesting as I was studying through this that Paul would have been very familiar just as he was with the soldier, he would have been very familiar with the athlete. With the Olympic Games. Because he spent some time in one of the cities that held the Isthmian Games. That were between the Olympic Games, but were part of the Olympiad. And as I read through Acts chapter 18, it kind of hit me. Do you know that the Bible records in Acts 18 that Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth? You know where the Isthmian Games were? Corinth do you know that outside of the stadium in Corinth they the athletes pitched tents to stay in question what was Paul Paul was a tent maker how many of you knew that he was a tent maker I'm like whoo it gave me chills I'm like wow Here's a guy, listen, here's a guy who lived in the culture and used it to advantage for the gospel. Kind of got me to thinking, you know, with everything that's going on in our world today, are we seeing it as an opportunity for the gospel? Paul, you know what Paul would be doing if he was around here now? Go, oh, hey, hey, man, you got some opportunity. Just like he had opportunity with soldiers and with athletes, history also records that many of the athletes were soldiers. is that interesting? So the first two metaphors here, Paul would have been very familiar with, the athlete and the soldier. History also tells us that the games were so popular that if the, a war was going on, there would be a pause in order to compete in the games. And I thought this to be interesting, that most boys growing up in that culture in bigger places were enrolled in the gymnasium from the time they were young. What do you do with young boys in a gym? What do you do with them? You train them. You train them. Paul was involved in training Timothy. Who trained Paul? Jesus Christ. So, as we consider the context of the passage, we need to understand that these first two metaphors, Paul would have been very, very familiar with. Where there's three things we need to consider in this verse, this morning in verse 5. First of all, we need to consider that there should be a mind to compete as an athlete. For the believer, there should be a mind to compete as an athlete. Let's read the verse itself. Paul writes, also if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. It's interesting, this word athlos is the word athlete, and it has this picture of 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 an athlete struggling with extraordinary discipline. It's a picture of an athlete who is struggling with extraordinary discipline. Have you ever seen the Olympic sprinters or runners cross the finish line? Have you ever seen that? Have have you ever seen the slow-mo of that? And their faces are what? I mean, it's like, I mean, they're running, and they're using all that they have. They're competing with everything they have. What a picture. The discipline that's required... To struggle through an event begins before the event. You don't just show up at an Olympic game and say, I'm here. There's extraordinary discipline that's required as an athlete struggles to get to the point where they're in the race itself. One of my favorite athletes, I have a couple of them. Of all time, I loved watching Michael Johnson run. The man with the golden shoes. You remember him? Man, that dude could run. Now, Usain Bolt, not too bad himself. But Michael Johnson, you talk about a picture of a guy who struggled. Man, he, was, he ran upright. Man, his muscles in his, in his face, they're moving. Man, he's just struggling through. But one of my other favorites is Michael Phelps. They could swim. How many of you watched the Olympics and saw Michael Phelps? I mean, how many of you just turned it on because Michael Phelps was coming up in an event, right? You're like, I'm not missing that. Did you know that Michael Phelps spent a five-year period of time training every single day when he was in his preteen, teen years? Five straight years 1800 days straight. Didn't skip a Sunday, didn't skip a holiday. Every single day, he put forth the energy to compete, which requires a lot of self discipline, wouldn't you say? I mean, listen, how many of us just want to walk four or five times a week? That's walk. Every single day for 1800 consecutive days. And when he was interviewed, About it, he said this, it came down to my competitive juices and not wanting to lose. Well, we're just talking about a swimmer, an athlete, who was an amazing athlete. With the mindset he didn't want to lose, how about the believer? Let's compete with the mindset to what? To win in the Christian life. It takes discipline to do that. I didn't cite this illustration, but in first service, in first service but I had a, a professor in college named Peter Held. And he used to tell us, and it's amazing what you can remember after all those years. It's been a few years since I've seen Peter Held in the classroom. But he said to us one day, he said, students, if you will do something for 23 straight days, it becomes a habit. I've never forgotten that. Now, I have no idea if Peter held right or not. But think about it. 23 days, 1,800 days to train. You talk about discipline. Well, if discipline's demanded from a swimmer to compete at the highest level. Guys, listen, if we're going to compete to the glory of God, we have got to be committed with the discipline of an athlete. Michael Phelps, there's this little short um, clip I want to play for you where he, him and his coach are sitting down and his coach talks about the discipline that's needed, the self-discipline as an athlete. So if you play that.
5: The only form of discipline that really matters is self-discipline. It's teaching kids good decision making skills, how to stick with something. Understanding that there may be delayed gratification is something I think kids today have a hard time with. People in we general. Want, yeah You I mean, we we want, want it, now. it now. You want it instantly. And, uh, you know, we wanna look at our phone and get something instantly instead of think about it or look it up or do anything else. So I, I think that's a big part of swimming and sports in general. The best lesson they teach is that the the work, the seeds you're sowing today, you're not going to reap the fruit of them until down the road. So, if you can learn that, and you can learn that every day you're just getting a little bit closer to your goal, and that you need to do certain things every day to make these goals happen, and if you get in the habit of doing that, you got no problem. It's all about forming good habits, I guess, yeah. essentially, is yeah. what self-discipline is about, right? Agreed. For all of us.
1: That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? I mean, just forming those habits you know as a swimmer forms the habits to be to the point where he can compete in the olympics we need to form the habits they're going to help us to compete in the christian life to the glory of god well how does that look i want to give you just um <clears throat> a few practical things and i'm not sure quite how you're going to see this but i thought well this would be good for us to have this discipline uh, in our lives and, and it may be going in areas where maybe you haven't thought of but just coming off of verse 2 where he tells him, you know, you be committed to this process. And then he tells him to endure hardship. Look at some of these things that I've come up with this morning. First of all, there should be a, there's a continual need to be coached in our lives. You agree with that? Right? If we're going to be disciplined, have that discipline, we need someone coaching us continually. We don't ever come to a point in the Christian life where we say, I've done enough reps. I've done enough. I need someone that's more mature to speak into my life on a regular basis. You say, a sit-down conversation? Maybe. But it might be just watching them live their life and watching them handle something. Um, We need to have the mind that we haven't arrived. You think about if Michael Phelps would have had that mind. He would have never won as many gold medals as he did. Michael Johnson those guys were amazing athletes what made them so amazing they listen he's sitting down in that video with who His coach there should be also an availability to coach others in the Christian life I found this to be interesting when I did a little historical study that many athletes in Paul's day were coached or trained by past victors that's not unusual Right, Someone is a great sprinter, and so they learn from Michael Johnson or Usain Bolt. Someone wants to be a great swimmer, so they learn from Michael Phelps. That happens with Olympic, uh, Olympic contestants. They go back, and they want to be coached by the best. Well, that makes sense, right? Makes a lot of practical sense. Who was coaching Timothy? Question? Who was coaching Timothy? Answer? paul was was paul a victor answer yes at the end of at the end of this uh uh, book he says i finished the course guys we need to be available to coach others and that begins in the home coach your children coach your grandchildren be coached by others One of the greatest benefits that I had in my life as a believer, I was coached by many wonderful, wonderful Bible teachers and scholars and men who were just committed and sold out to Christ like a Dr. Hugh Hughley, like a George Morange, like a Dr. Alden Gannett, like a Dr. Wex, men like Dan Cooley, Don Barrett, I can name them. There's all these guys that spoke into my life this very discipline that we're talking about. The discipline of an athlete. Um, thirdly, there should be a daily dying to self. Right? That's part of it. A daily dying to self. This means having the mind to be humbly dependent on the Lord every day. An athlete's depending on his coach to steer him or her in the right direction. Who are we depending on? Our coach. Who's that? The Lord. And then fourthly, there should be an awareness of what we eat, our diet. See, that, that's kind of weird. No, it's not. If we're going to be, listen, if we're going to be athletes in the Christian life that compete and are disciplined because we want the Lord to receive the glory, we need to be careful with what we eat. And what do I mean by that? I mean this. We need to have a daily intake of the Word of God. You agree with that? Daily intake. It has to be a regular part of our diet. We can't skip meals. We don't skip meals, do we? Do we skip meals? My stomach's growling right now. I'm ready to eat. You might even hear it in a minute. When I came out of heart surgery and then went to rehab, one of the classes that I had was a class on what to eat. And I came to this conclusion pretty quickly. If it tastes good, don't eat it. As you know, what's good for us all the time? God's Word. God's Word. It's good for us to have an intake of God's Word on a daily basis. And not just one time during that day. all the time an athlete has to have the right kind of diet in fact if you look at the number of calories that Michael Phelps took in a day it's unbelievable he actually had in his day scheduled out eating and it was an hour and a half and I'm like I wonder if he ate that whole time the dude took in some calories. Why? He's pouring forth what? A lot of energy. A lot of energy. So we have to have a mind as a believer just like an athlete does, a mind to compete. A mind to compete. Well, secondly, <clears throat> excuse me, secondly in this passage, <clears throat> we're told this. There should be a mind to win the prize. And notice that comes here with instruction. He says, If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he does what? He competes according to the rules, and we're going to get to that last part in just a minute. But the mind of an athlete is to do what? It's to win the prize. When you enter the arena, you want to win the prize. The gold, the wreath. Um, You have a mind to win the prize? The prizes that are available, the crowns that are available. The word for prize is the Greek term stephanos, and it means crown. Now, the crowns that they received, did they last? Answer No, they didn't last. You yeah, know, the crowns that the Lord has in mind for those that are His, they last. Where do they belong? With Him with him Um, there are crowns in scripture i wanted to remind us this morning guys that we're running with the mind to win in the christian life and at the end of that there are some crowns now what we do with these crowns we give them back to the lord they belong at his feet he's the only one deserving of them but to receive the crowns, we need to understand kind of how that looks in the New Testament. And it's quite clear from the Bible that all of us that are in Christ are going to stand in front of Christ at the beam of seat. And there'll be reward and there'll be loss of reward. It's clear, though, that these crowns from Scripture have meaning attached to them. I don't, I don't have for you the references. You can look them up. That'll be part of your discipline, to look through the word and find these. You have the incorruptible crown, and that's for the one who obeyed the Lord's command and disciplined his life to live for the Lord. So we are running for something. Ultimately, we're running for the glory of God, but we can see here that there are crowns for the believer. The incorruptible crown, a disciplined life that's lived for the Lord. The um, second crown is the crown of righteousness given to all who love the appearing of the Lord. That's very clear from Scripture. You ready for him to come? You good with that? I hope so. The crown of righteousness is given to all who love the appearing of the Lord. You know, it, it was clear in Paul's life that he was longing for the appearing of Christ. But until then, then, he was committed to what? Being disciplined as as, as an athlete, being dedicated as a soldier for the glory of the Lord. The third crown that's mentioned in the scriptures here is the crown of rejoicing. This is the soul winner's crown. Soul winner's crown. Yes, it's very important to understand when it comes to this that we don't save anyone. That understood, we don't save anyone. Paul understood that. Paul said, I planted, Apollos a watered, God caused the growth. He's the one that causes the growth. But we are involved in that process. Isn't it amazing that the Lord wants us involved in that? So there's the soul winner's crown. And it wouldn't be great if, if we, we had the mind that every person we see, we see eternity. Every person we come in contact with during the week. We just see eternity. They're spending eternity in heaven and or hell. Lord, help me to be the witness that I need to be. Hey, by the way, it's obvious from the letter that Paul wrote, Paul wasn't like Timothy in some ways. Paul, I mean, Timothy was a little more timid. But it did not dismiss the responsibility that Timothy had to evangelize. You know how I know? Chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Meaning, he probably didn't have the gift of evangelism. Paul did. No doubt Paul did. I mean, you just read the Acts and tell Paul did. But just because I don't have the gift of evangelism does not dismiss me from declaring the whole counsel of the Lord. And you know who's going to help you with that? And help me with that? The Spirit of God. Let the Word of God do the work. The fourth is the crown of glory. This appears to be the shepherd's crown. This seems to be reserved for elders and pastors and teachers. You know, one of the verses, I didn't mention this first service, but one of the verses that um, really hits me is that teachers incur a stricter judgment. Um, I mean, you're disseminating the Word of God. I mean, you're bringing forth the Word. And being an elder, listen, it's a dirty job, by the way. Just like a shepherd's job is a dirty job. An elder's job is a dirty job. It's not not clean. There are always issues that come to the forefront. I've been encouraged in my life just watching other elders, watching them. And the commitment they have to the word of God. And the commitment they have to dependence on the Lord. And the commitment they have to the truth. Are elders perfect men? answered no. But I've been working with the elders here at Grace. And Springville Road. For a long time. And I know one thing for sure. These men are committed to the truth. Committed to the truth of the word of God. And they seek after the Lord. So you have the crown of glory and then uh, lastly you have the crown of life. This is interesting. This crown is reserved for those who undergo persecution and those martyred for the sake of Christ and the gospel. You know history records that Timothy was martyred. We know Paul was. Stephen was. Every one of the disciples minus John I was talking to somebody this last week and we were talking about the dedication of a soldier and the commitment that you needed to have and you know as Paul did um, they sure did live in a unique time didn't they and and, and for them suffering equated to what death 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 for Christ and the gospel it might for us one day So there needs to be, in the mind of the believer, this concept of um, the crown, the wreath. But it comes with a statement that leads us to the third point. There should be a mind to compete according to the rules. So then there's this idea of obedience here that's brought to the table, which takes discipline. And I put in my margin, also integrity. Notice what he says. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And in Paul's day, at the Olympic Games, there were three main rules. They had to be a true-born Greek. They had to swear an oath, testifying to ten months of training before the statue of Zeus. They had to abide by the rules of their specific event. Now, there were several events at the Olympic Games, at the Isthmian Games. But one of them that really caught my attention as I was doing some research was not necessarily one that you and I would just maybe choose right off the top. Did you know there was competing, uh, they had carriage races? But the one that got me was pancration. You guys ever heard of pankration? It would be similar to UFC today. You're familiar with that, right? They get in the ring and they just start wailing on each other. And they use about every technique there is. But pancration was um, a combination of boxing and wrestling. In fact, it was one of the most popular spectator sports. You know why? Gambling. Just like the carriage races. But pankration had rules to it just like every other event. Well, these are the rules of pancreation. Listen to this. In case you wanted to enter, they still have some of that and you can. <laughs> I hope not, but this is it. Ready? The rules read this way. Everything is permitted except the following. So if you were part of the competition in Pancration These are the things that you couldn't do. You couldn't bite. Isn't that nice to know? You couldn't bite. No gouging. Meaning this. You couldn't stab your opponent's eye. Try to gouge their eye or their nose or their mouth. You're like, hey, who would have a problem with any of that, right? However, they could kick their opponent in the belly... And they could kick them in sensitive areas. In fact, they were expected to do so. Because what would happen if you kicked them in sensitive areas, you bring them to where? Their knees. It's interesting when you watch, we're the same way, right? You, you ever watched ice hockey? What's your favorite part of ice hockey? Let's be honest. Just a few in number here this morning. We like it when they what? They bam! up against the ice, right? Up against the, up against the board. You love when they're like checking them into the board. Isn't that wonderful? My son, my middle son, played ice hockey when he was about four, five, six, seven years old. He was the first kid in the league to be put in the penalty box. Isn't that awesome? And during that time, Micah had a cast on and um, he he broke his thumb. He did something to his thumb, and he, so he had a cast. But he would take that cast and bam, check him. It was awesome. We like that, right? We like it when it gets rough. Well, this pancration, I mean, there were many disqualifications as I went on and read. In the Olympics and if you go back and study the history of the Olympics there have been many who have been disqualified in fact one of the strangest qualifications occurred in the 1896 Olympics a runner named Spiridion Balochus he was a Greek athlete he competed in the marathon at the summer Olympic Games in Athens In 1896, he was one of 17 athletes to run the marathon. But they discovered at the end of the race that he took part of that time and he didn't run. He actually rode in a carriage, but he ended up finishing third. But he didn't compete according to the rules, and so he was disqualified. The question becomes, for us as believers, what does competing by the rules look like? It's very clear for the believer that this is the loving rule book that God has given us. You know, one of the things that we don't want to do when looking at this particular point about keeping the rules, we don't want to make it a point of legalism. Okay, that's dangerous, and we don't want it to be liberalism. That's dangerous as well. So how do we approach the rules that are given to us in the Word of God? Paul had already given Timothy rules to go by, had he not? You be strong in the grace that's in Christ. You continue the process of discipleship. But we have rules too. The New Testament is filled with loving, I call them loving rules, loving expectations from our Lord And I wanted to give you some things to think about this morning as it relates to obeying the rule book, which is the Word of God. The first thing is this. Christians need to be very at home with God's Word. There are some people that I know who view this book as a rule book. But if you're a believer in Christ, While it is a rule book, in a sense, it's God's loving rule in our lives. That's what it is. Like, for example, in 2 Corinthians, it tells us, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Is that important that we take that and look at it and measure it? Yes. Why? Because the Lord's told us to. Is it important that we embrace verses like Ephesians 4.29, which says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for necessary edification. Yes, it's important for us to consider these things. Um, so the book, this book, we need to be very familiar with. Just like Paul is going to tell Timothy later on in this chapter and in the chapters to come, hey, look, people today, they just, Timothy, they just want their ears tickled. No, we need to take what God says and look at it as our loving Savior is desirous that we live to his glory, and he has in mind our protection. I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to to this. Um, We need to take and look at God's love letter to us. Yes, it is our rule maker for life. God tells us how to live. But he does so because he loves us. Secondly, Christians need to understand that obeying the rules does not equate to salvation. There are a lot of people out there with that thought. If I do this, I don't do that, do this, don't do that. That's not it. Salvation is by what? It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we live by grace. But we don't abuse grace. Can grace be abused? Oh, yeah. It absolutely can. In Romans Paul writes this, what shall we say then are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase may it never be how shall we who died to sin live in it I was watching a movie a Christian movie last night and about a football team and In one part of the movie, there's this revival that's going on. And the revival is going on because the word's being disseminated. Because God's working in the hearts of men. God's working in the hearts of young ladies. One of the things I think that probably would be good for us to do is exactly what Paul told the Corinthian believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. We have to pay attention to what God wants for us. We understand that we're not saved through works or through keeping rules. But God has in mind our very best and he wants us to live to his glory. So he set up parameters for us. You know, athletes were charged to obey the rules. We've been charged to obey our Lord and our Savior. And you know who helps us to do that? The Spirit of God. Put in here, Christians need to avoid the extremes of legalism, which is man's law. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. The Pharisees were that. Man has law, but as it relates to spiritual, our spiritual life, we're interested in what God has already said. And then as it relates to liberalism today... There's just a lot of tolerance for what's wrong. What God's already spoken to. And there's a lot of pressure on pastors today to conform to the culture. God has different thoughts as it relates to the way that you and I should live the Christian life. In fact, Paul tried to live it in front of Timothy. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, You followed my teaching and conduct and purpose and faith and patience and love and perseverance. You followed what I was doing in my life. And so the mindset of the believer needs to be, God has given us this book. It tells us how one is saved, but it also lovingly tells me how I am to live the Christian life. Can we agree on that? So that when we're raising our children and they come to know the Lord, we remind them that the Lord is interested, that they are equally yoked with another believer. You see how many young people settle for second best and not God's best. It's dangerous. Young people, there weren't so many young people in the first service. But you're here right now. Listen to me. God has said in his word, in his word. And if you're a believer, then we're interested in what God has said. He desires that you be equally yoked so that both of you know the Lord. And I would say that both of you are growing in the Lord. You know what happens a lot? In, in, in what, and it just happens. Well, we're going to get married, and yeah, they're a Christian. Are they growing Christian well they're a Christian and they go into a marriage like this and you have one who's here and one who's committed to the things of the Lord and is gung-ho about hey wherever the Lord wants me that's where I want to go and whatever he wants me to do that's what I want to do and then you have one going yeah I'm a Christian but they don't have that mind guys it's very very important for you as young believers That you understand that God, listen, I call it the umbrella of protection. God just has the best in mind for you. He does. One of the things, and I didn't say this first service because she wasn't here. One of the things that attracted me to Teresa from the very get-go, this lady not only is a believer, but she's a growing believer. And her desire is to please him, and that was, like, very attractive to me. I wanted to build a stone wall around her and say, off limits. I did, didn't I, honey? Three more things. Four more things, excuse me. Christians need to be governed in their lives by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. This is something very important to understand. Just like Paul was and Timothy was, led by the Spirit of God, so we need to be. That's why I'm not giving you a list of ten things. Be led by the Spirit. Because the Spirit, remember what Jesus said to the disciples? He's going to lead you into what? All the truth. And if you get stuck, look at number five. Christians need to ask the Lord for wisdom in the race along the way. How many times in your life as a believer in the race have you come to the point where you're like, I just don't know what I need to do. Not sure. That happens. Nothing wrong with waiting Is there? We need to ask the Lord for wisdom. That's what James wrote. If you lack it, ask. Young people, listen to me. Don't accept this, well, I just don't need to understand that, or how important can that be, or... No, 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 no. If you lack wisdom, ask of the Lord. And then what you need to do is follow that up by going to your parents... Who are, who are your spiritual guides, they should be, and ask them, hey, what does the Lord say about this? Number six, Christians need to be proactive in providing God's wisdom to man. You know, illustration. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, what does God's word say about marriage? What are you doing? You should be able to answer the question. What does God say about my responsibility as a husband or my responsibility as a wife or what role am I to have in the lives of my children? This is a big one. Because for years and years and years and years, it's like mom raises the kids Oh, whole time out. And dad makes the check and he brings it home and mom raises the kids. Hey, listen, there's a lot of wonderful mothers in here. Who've raised their children, please, though, it's not by yourself. What does it tell us in the Word? Fathers, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's missing today in homes? Fathers. Many homes are absent of fathers bringing up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, young people, listen. Your parents are for you spiritually. Seek their guidance. You're like, yeah, but they're always about don't do this and do that and don't do... No, 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 hold on a second. They live by grace too. Okay, remind them, hey, mom and dad, we live by grace. But they're, they're going to bring you right to what God says in his word about things. And they may spank you later because you did something wrong. But still, you're getting the wisdom you need. And then seventh christians need to disciple others depending on god's rule book for wisdom we need discipling we need people who are willing to invest in our lives with the mind of self-discipline with the mind of running to the end um, that's exactly what paul had he was running to the end didn't he? he ran to the end he did it well he discipled to the end he's in that prison and he's about to die and what's he doing he's writing a letter He's still discipling. And he writes some really important stuff to Timothy. You have to have someone who's willing to invest. When I was in high school, I ran track. I was on the track team and I was on the cross country team. Um, I like the track part better. But the cross country was something I did, and coach wanted me to do it, and I did it. His name was Coach Youngblood. What a great name for a coach, right? Coach Youngblood. And Coach Youngblood was about six foot four, and he was just a long, lanky, athletic dude. And he had on our lockers in the locker room a sheet. It had your name, and it had a personal achievement chart. And Mondays were the hardest days. Why do you think Mondays were the hardest days? Because young people just came off of what? A weekend. And on your personal achievement chart, if you looked at it, the days, right, they were different, and some were shorter requirements and others were longer. Mondays was the longest. And on Mondays it was you would run maybe four 100s, meaning 100 yards. And you would run eight 200s. And they just kept increasing. Four 100s, eight 200s, and he might even write ten 400s, which is one time around the track. Like, How hard can that be? Uh, after about the fifth time around, you're like, dude, I don't want to do this anymore. And your, your calves are burning. If you have shin splints, they're hurting. And you don't go over to coach and say, well, I'm done. I've done five. No, no, no. he just add five more. But the list was long on Mondays. And as I got a little older in track, I, used to, I actually came to the conclusion, like, I know why he does this. He's running us because we just got off a weekend. And then on Fridays was the longest day. You know what he did to us on Fridays? In the fall, it was the 10-mile run. Every Friday, 10 miles. And you'd get into, the, into your locker, you'd get dressed, and you'd start running the 10 miles. And you know what Coach Youngblood did? He'd take his car, and he'd drive along, and you'd be in your second or third mile, and he'd wave at you. And then you'd see him again about the fifth or sixth mile, and he'd wave at you. And then he'd be waiting on you at the end. Why? Because you better finish. But you know what? As I got older, I came to appreciate Coach Youngblood better because you know what he was trying to do? Help us with the discipline needed to run the event to win. Guys, the Lord desires that we run win in the Christian life that we have the discipline of an athlete who competes that we have the discipline of an athlete who runs to win the prize and that as a disciplined athlete we run according to the rules according to what the Lord has given us to do you know how we're going to do that? we're going to do that only with the help of the Holy Spirit And so I pray, my prayer is this, that we can embrace what Paul tells us here as believers, that we would indeed be disciplined as an athlete to the glory of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we... um, Look at the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy, and he tells him, look, be dedicated. Dedicated as a soldier. Be disciplined as an athlete. Compete. Compete to win, Timothy. Compete to win in the Christian life. But compete according to the rules. Obey what the Lord says, Timothy. Lord, we need that mind. We need the mind to be disciplined in our daily life. That we might have the finish line in mind. And you're the one that's there. You're standing at the finish line. And you're urging us on. And I pray, Lord, that our mind would be that. That we would have a disciplined mind to compete a disciplined mind to to, to run to win and a disciplined mind to compete according to the rules, recognizing, Lord, that, that you have our best in mind. And it's going to be difficult because there's going to be hardship. But we can say, Lord, we are very, very thankful that we do not run the race alone, but you run with us. And Lord, I pray for all of us this morning that we would think about this metaphor that Paul uses. That we would think of ourselves as an athlete in the Christian life. And that we would shore up the areas in our lives that need more discipline. Lord, ultimately that all of that would be with the mind of you receiving all the glory and honor. It's hard to believe that you would even present a crown to us. But Lord, um, while it's an amazing thought, we know that when the crowns we receive are given to us, they'll just be placed right back at your feet because you're the one worthy. As Revelation tells us, you're the one worthy of all the honor and and all the glory, and all the blessing. It does not belong to us. And so, Lord, as we leave this place today, I pray that you would give us the mind to be disciplined as an athlete, and dedicated as a soldier. And may we live to your honor and to your glory. And Lord, we pray for little Adrian again as he grows up, that he would come to know you as his Savior and that he would live for you and be pleasing to you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to engage your word this morning, and may we remember the things that have come from your word so that we might grow stronger in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And all these things we pray in the name of the Lord, who is holy, holy, holy. Amen. You are dismissed.